Hi, I'm Chris. And I'm Ian. And welcome to this week's episode of the Focal Point Podcast. This week, we're joined by Dan Cook. Dan is an ex-fire services uh, district commander who used to run rescue operations around the UK. After that, he went on to become the operations director of Servon, an international charity that helps people in uh, disaster zones all around the world uh, through their unique skill sets in things like search and first aid. Dan takes all of this experience and wraps it all up into his business called Dark Swan, where he helps teams thrive and survive whatever life throws at them uh, by immersing them in real life challenges. In this conversation, Dan talks about his experiences. And to be honest with you, some of them are, are pretty candid and he's been in some pretty extreme environments. So there's a slight watch out on this episode because uh, we are going to talk about some um, relatively harrowing events. It was fantastic to get Dan on and to hear some of his stories. Um, and he's got a real knack for bringing um, to life and into the real world um, yeah, that we might face some of the more, some of the lessons from the more extreme environments he's been in. As you'll hear Dan allude to later in the episode, he does live on a boat, uh, which means at the time the internet's not the strongest. Um, so please bear with it. Um, it's a fantastic episode to listen to. Hopefully you'll forgive us for some of the Wi-Fi glitches in there. Enjoy the episode. Dan, you were first described to me by Ian um, before we'd met as someone who works for International Rescue, um, which made me really, really excited. Um, you can probably imagine why, being of a certain age, um, I went straight to like light blue uniform, like sash, and a rocket ship that could hover and like pull people out of mountainsides. Um, it, it's fair to say, Dan, actually, I wasn't disappointed when I met you, though, because some of your actual stories seem to be way better um, than, you know, made up stuff with little puppets. <laughs> um, so, yeah, great. Um, we, we were chatting, obviously, before we started recording. Um, it sounds like you've done some pretty awesome things with so Servon, the charity you, you run during the pandemic. Mate. I wonder if you'd be happy to just sort of, yeah, by way of introducing yourself and what you do, maybe tell some of our listeners about yeah. what you've been up to. Yeah, of course. Oh, uh, so the, the Thunderbirds analogy that you put in there. I mean, um, yeah, we haven't got the spaceships and the jets and the, but uh, but you know, past twenty years of going to disaster straight away anywhere in the world, um, <clears throat> and hey, there's good, bad, and ugly around all of that. Of course there is, um, and uh, you know, learned a lot of lessons, some amazing ones and some lessons in blood. But uh, this past year has been really strange because uh, although we are traditionally and on our background as earthquakes uh, and going in uh, with a few hours and, and that stuff obviously uh, a year of not really being able to travel and wishing to repurpose ourselves so so we did and, and we've started something over the past few years called community resilience teams which are much more accessible they belong to the places that they, they exist in and and uh, really diverse interesting people and, and they're out there doing a lot well you know, during the start of this lockdown, the view was, well, okay, let's not make it worse by, let's not make it worse by going around making it worse. And a lot of our members are in the front lines already in their day jobs. So you kind of sit in there going, well, we don't want to just jump out there for the sake of it because, it, you know, there's a lot of people doing a lot of good. But very quickly, I mean, we, I happened to be in the Caribbean and we got the last flight out to come home into the lockdown. And, um, we had a command meeting the next day and within a pretty short amount of time, we decided that uh, we were asked to go and help locate people who were um, 
vulnerable because they might not have had their meds and haven't got a support network and and the the health authorities and the NHS couldn't find them um and so we were asked to go and do it now, now <laughs> this is this is when this is when you love these chaotic uncertain moments different to what we normally do because it's not the same as search and rescue in a collapsed building right so and there was a load of things we had to think about with the data GDPR and loan working and and overnight, our rescue rookies, which is our youth program, were the, the, the people who were effectively set up, established and ran this incredible operation that found thousands of people um, and checked on them. And in some places, there was an emergency and we had to bring care. And, and it set up jobs uh, for, not paid jobs, set up work and tasking for millions of items of PPE and, and several thousand people located. But the cool thing is, these were like 17, 18, 19 year olds. Without them, uh, people like me and my team who, who probably had all sorts of you know, wacky experiences, I can't write an app. You could give me a year, it wouldn't happen. To get an app done overnight that tasks people, tracks them, uh, protects the data that goes in so you never own it, you look at it and it goes back to the owners. This is, you know, it, it's when you realise, gosh, we've got to have open minds, especially as we're getting older and the world's going faster. So, yeah, on that front, you know, a, a, a different year. Um, obviously, it's, it's weird for everyone, but uh, actually having that purpose and uh, mm. a team and a belonging is probably really helpful. Um, it, it really helps with lockdown. Dan, would you tell us in as much detail as you can about that piece of wood? Give, describe it to us. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very lightweight piece of construction pine timber. It's probably uh, a one by three inch, so part of a of a timber you'd find on the roof, and it's, yeah, it's approximately four inches long. So it's just a little tiny cube, um, you know, probably the size of a, a type of thing, bigger than a cigarette packet, but only just, there you go. And it's got rough edges. It's not neat, it's, it's rough edges, here you go. This is just a piece of wood. This is my piece of wood. Um, anyone who comes through the international route to our uh, rescue team spends a long time so from whatever you do to come to us through to the selection process um when you start one of the tiny things that happens is you, just as an aside you you have a go with some hand tools and um it, it doesn't matter what skills you bring because we can train practical skills it matters who you are as a person and there isn't one type of person so we like genuine uh, cognitive diversity we genuinely want a bunch of, especially in my position where I lead a team someplace, and it's always a bit complicated, and uncertainty has to be, you know, it, it's always uncertain. Um, there's a bit of risk, certainly. But what you want is someone in that group who can um, see things uh, the way that perhaps gives us the best option right there and then. And so if we're all the same, we'll think the same way, we'll all not know what to do at the same time, which is, which is a total nightmare. But on, on, that, uh, on that selection, amongst a variety, I think it's 23 activities that blend into one, um, you use a few hand tools just as a just as a session, you know, practical session to get people doing a few bits in the environments they would work in. And you all cut one of these those bits of wood. And then I think we scribble our name on in pencil and then they uh they kind of disappear to be honest with you. Um when you make it through the eighteen to month to two years worth of training, there's a final operations assessment. And honestly it's it is very, very tough, but it's one of the best bits of training you'll ever do because it's quite realistic and people say when they go on a mission quickly they say that i'm so glad i did that that matched this 
for once. Like, uh, and we have people from all the backgrounds you can imagine. You know, stereotypically, you can imagine that the special forces people and blue light people and all this exciting stuff. But honestly, we've also got hairdresser, you know, teachers, um, tele sales people, into you, you name it. So, and they bring something probably much better than the than the institutionalised mind. So all these folks come through. It takes a long time. That final bit, when you go on the ops register, you get pat, you get your bit of wood back, right? And as well as this bit of wood, you have, if I've got one lying around, hang on, I'll tear it off, it's on a Velcro. You get a um, diamond. You get this badge. You do, you know, stereotypically you get a badge. You might not see it. Um, and, uh, and that badge is a diamond, the shape. Um, and it's got a seismic wave, lightning, and, and waves as well, which sort of signifies the disasters we go through and some of the speed of response and, uh, and, and uh, moving fast and all that stuff. But it's also about the person. And so when you get this piece of wood, if you, I'll, send, I'll do a nice picture with my iPhone so you can see it, but you, you might be able to see it's engraved with a, with a diamond. Beneath it, you see a little bit of glass. That has three real diamonds pushed into it. But the, the important thing isn't really the, the physical items, although when I was running through the variety of strange things I have, and I thought, you know what, it's probably appropriate to talk about that one now. Um, so, so you have this diamond on here, and you put it somewhere to remind yourself what you've been through. Uh, but you've been loaded up with a load of good stuff, and a diamond's quite important because, you know, the, 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 if you like, the metaphors for the person is, well, made under pressure, you know, sharp, precious, rare valuable diamond geezer they would throw that one in at the side um part of nature um and uh and actually you know it, it has a bit of an edge to it as well which we kind of have to when, when we're in the midst of it all that is an amazing picture you're painting um built around a, a piece of unsanded wood it, it sounds like it's quite meaningful to you i'd like to sort of loop back a little bit and so, so the moment you find that these guys are complete, or guys and girls have completed their two year um, of two years of training and their final exercise. The moment that you hand them that block of wood back, and presumably they don't know it's coming, you know, with the the engraving and the diamonds in it. What like what do they say to you? What do you find that what do you find people's reaction is to that happening? Uh, but it always it's always special when that happens. And if you ask people to talk about it, there's a lot of humility around our people, and usually they'll defer how they're feeling and what they think to everyone else and being part of something. Um, I do know a member of the team who, um, who oh, one of the members of the team actually said it saved their life. And when you hear other people getting that life-changing benefit from belonging to something that effectively takes your weekends off you, um, makes you disappear off to somewhere that's pretty hot and pleasant all of a sudden. Dan, I've got a question for you, mate. So, um, you know, purpose is something that routinely comes up in the work that Chris and I do. In teams that perform at a high level, they have an obvious sense of purpose. And I, I'm thinking now of one of the football clubs we're working with at the minute, and you walk in there, and straight away when you walk into their academy, it's clear there's a sense of purpose. It's obvious. It's easy to see. Like It's on the wall, and they live it. They breathe it. And then you, you feel that. And I get in the same sense from you as you've talked then about like the serve on purpose. And like you just told me a powerful story that it's not only have you saved other people's lives, but the purpose of Servon has saved one of your own team members' lives, which is amazing to hear. I'm interested, though, because you, you're around high-performing teams a lot. Is there any particular catalyst, like behaviour that you see that allows you to 
generate purpose because I think that's when I'm when I'm looking at this dynamic of purpose I'm, I'm like yeah I get it and I get how important it is but I'm still yet to understand like, how people can create it so quickly and you've obviously done that so is there a particular like formula that you yeah. would adopt oh. that helps you craft purpose uh, for me generating that uh, I think to, to to learn or change you have to do give yourself over to something else whether that's an experience um, and I don't just mean a you know paintballing for the weekend I mean whether that's a truly authentic experience which you've handed over what's going to happen to someone else because then you learn something that you you if we do what we want and believe nothing changes so I, I like to to get challenged into what we've experienced before and what have you and I also have to see a result from endeavor and and it, it needs to be personal not just um you know, climb, carry the thing over the hill or whatever. There needs to be the personalities and the characteristics within it. But for me, there's another bit, which is, is your sense of purpose is different to just what's your purpose. But often ask people, what's your purpose? And you'll usually get um, either the, the role of their organisation or it could be something simple that says, you know, provide for my family, live a good life, be a good person, you know. And I'm not knocking that, by the way. That If you've done the thinking... And the experiential stuff, and you've gone on journeys, and you—that's what it genuinely is. Awesome. If you've just picked it because it's neat, easy to believe in, mm. and it will do, then under pressure, it can crack. And I—I I think one of the biggest things is to—it's—it's it's to put—is to genuinely put deliberate action into a relationship with your purpose, because you can—you can have a relationship with your purpose by how you react and respond to what's thrown at you. And if we say like purpose is dealt with because it's in the contract or, or it's on the T-shirt or it's on the, I don't think it's that strong or it's vulnerable. It's vulnerable. But the, the bit I'm, I'm interested in locking onto there, mate, you, you mentioned in your, your answer that like the journey is the catalyst. How often do you find yourself having to highlight to people they've been on a journey to, to sort of understand their purpose? <laughs> well, we do it with people and we do it with the team all the time. And that's that business of it isn't finished or final. You know, what we believe 100% right now is probably going to change a bit. You, you've got to go on massive journeys there. And I think if you've got a good relationship with your, with your, with your sense of purpose and what it is, and curiosity, you know, and having that belief there, then you, then you afford yourself a more resilient, healthier relationship with purpose and, and something that doesn't shatter or fracture as easily under pressure. So, Dan, it's really, you've painted us a really, like, vivid picture of like the environments where you've like experienced high performance and like really low performance, um, you know, and learn a, a lot about yourself and a lot about the people that are around you. Um, and, and there's kind of this anchor point for people of, of this object. Where, well, no, it's not really an anchor point. It's more of a start point for people, right? So they finish this training, they get this object, and it's this kind of springboard into doing other things and having a frame of reference. Um, one of the things we try and do on the pod is bring some of these experiences and some of these ideas into other people's real life. So what tips or what, what ideas would you give our listeners that might help them bring some of the performance lessons that you've experienced in these really extreme environments to life anywhere else? Okay. So I, if I could do, I start with an example that, that always inspires me and it's one of my teammates, not me. Um, we were in a tunnel, we were tunnelling um, to rescue uh, a woman that we 
detected with our listening kit. It's been buried for three days in an earthquake. Extremely dangerous. So we know this, but we, we can't figure out any other way of getting around it. We do have a little bit more sort of uh, telemetry with our seismic kit and figure out she's the other side of the wall we're tunneling. But it's not a little wall. It's it's a huge wall in a multi-story building. And so we and it's holding it up. So we have to come out, come across and go back in for what's going to be at least another 10 hours. This is three days in, limited sleep for mostly I did not slept at all, uh, and, and neither did this other guy. We figure it out. I go in, crawl in, tap him on the foot, say, stop, stop. And you know, you'll give someone this news. I think this is my favourite judgment on how we perform. And so we were on the wrong side of the wall. She's the other side. Could go out, do it again. And you just told someone who's, 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 you know, probably quite frightened, dangerous tool, tiny space, aftershocks, hasn't slept for three days. It's 45 degrees. It's, it's really horrendous. And kind of turns around, goggles up, respirator down, bloodshot eyes, dirt everywhere, looked me in the eye. Yeah, he, he says, can you tell me again, can, can you do it in a film voice? And so I had to take it off and say his name and say, we've got to go back. We've got to do it again. And within that 30-second conversation of 10 hours in the wrong side of a wall, sorry, now 10 hours, when you're right at the limit of what you can do, to just reposition and go, yes, crack on, no problem, um, and, and say, can you do it in a film voice? I just, it's absolute class. And you know you're working with amazing people when that's their response. And so I just did a performance on how we treat each other, how we behave when we're at our worst. Um, if we have all day in a nice environment, we can take our time getting it right. And what happens to a lot of people, you pressure that and they go, there isn't time to be nice or listen or understand. But guess what? If your amazing person in your team is under pressure, and you, you all are, and you need to challenge them on something, whatever that might be. It might not be a, a mistake or an, it might be attitude. Might be. If you add to that disapproval, body language, I'm angry, but you're putting up all these barriers. Whereas if you've built trust and honesty, you can actually say, hey, that doesn't match right now. It's not working because of these things. What are we going to do? And you're not having a fight. People do that to me. I'm, I'm, I'm all ears because... You know, I, I want to get it right because the outcome is what we're after with, with, with saving a life. So absolutely, that, um, that doesn't happen to a complete stranger immediately unless you're really lucky. And, and sometimes we get quite good at the rapport thing, which is a minute or two of honesty, a minute or two of vulnerability, which is genuine, genuine, not like just some, sort of, you know, faux go at it. Uh, and, and you can get to it quite quickly. We do our very best when we're also doing that. And interestingly, when someone gets given a, a couple of badges and they're, they're diamonds, elite or special, the mission that comes with, the personal mission that comes with it is that you have to make other people feel better about themselves for having met you and worked with you. So not inferior, but our mission on the ground, we involve the community in a rescue. We, we try where we can to pull the community because by being part of the rescue and owning it, they're empowered to recover faster that you know mentally they get behind that much better um we can train people leave equipment with them we can help guide and the result is tons better our best work is done when we, we take someone alongside we bring them to that place and they end up owning what's going on and, and owning their recovery Man, that's incredible and that sense of personal mission is, is i guess something that's really tied up in in that focal point yeah and that object that, that you brought today You've also talked a lot about challenge, though. So I think a lot of people probably struggle. I'm sure we all have at different points. 
with making people feel valued and challenging them, challenging them in a way that isn't like overly critical or destructive. You want to be constructive in your criticism and in your dissent. So what tips would you give people to do that more effectively? So I, I, I place at least equal measure into what went well as to what needs to improve. Deep down, I think it's more important because if, you, if, you know, if you're really good at something and you understand why, you can replicate it. If you're really good at something you don't understand, it might just be good luck. But the other one is, if you can understand why you're good, you can apply the reasons why you're effective to A, to the B that you'd rather do better. If you've built the right relationship, that challenge doesn't threaten your belonging to this team. Your status and belonging and value, what we believe in you, is not threatened by challenge. And it should actually be enriched. It's like, look, we, we, take, we take pride in, in each other and in helping each other get somewhere. And quite often the challenge isn't, I know better than you. The challenge is, uh, how do we figure this out? That didn't sound right, didn't look right. Uh, and if we do it regularly on small things, the big things are easier or we, still, we don't even get to them. No, I can see that. And that's, that's to me, those two things now align very nicely, don't they? That the way you behave and treat each other being your performance metric, that instantly allows you to create an environment where someone's position wouldn't feel threatened because if you're treating them and behaving in the right way yeah you're allowing them that environment you're allowing them the position to be challenged and it not to challenge their ego essentially it's challenging like the thing that we're trying to achieve right now and i think a lot of people get lost on that um a lot of people see challenge and they take it very personally i know i, I for one did very early on uh, and still still to, to a bit now I, I still do you know I, I struggle at times to detach my ego from from feedback i encourage feedback i want it i want to understand stuff but i do struggle at times to you know detach myself because i feel threatened uh, and i think what you've just described is a really fascinating and unique way of creating an environment where you can challenge and where you can perform again that's sort of challenging and understanding stuff you know chris has pushed this quite hard with certainly the sporting clients we work with around you learn the lesson not the action so be, being able to understand in your in your debriefing and in your thinking of like why you made that decision. So yes, we can analyze what went well and what what didn't go so well. But actually, in reality, what we want to analyze is the, the decision making that led us to do that thing that we're analyzing. And that's the crucial bit to take away the lesson, um, not just the action that you've you've done. Right. Something in there. You might, you might want to is that if you find things where you so quite often people will use words, well, you've got no room for error. You can't afford mistakes. You can't fail. You can't, in, in when you do the, these rescues, you, you consistently do every single one of them all the time, constantly. It's how you find your way. Yeah, yeah. It's the only way to go. It's uncertain and you don't know what it is. And it's a mess of concrete spaghetti and you're trying to find a person in the middle of it. You can pretty much guarantee it's not going to go according to plan. Things will break. It won't be where you thought it was. It'll go one way or the other way. <laughs> If you can take someone from whatever their normal performance world is to something different where they're not going to lose their job or not get funding or uh, what have you, but still apply a realistic pressure, that's where you get the chance to develop. It's, it's the option for people to take on mm. to say, okay, we need to constantly do it while we're working, but we need to take some time out and have a go at some stuff to give ourselves an opportunity to experience a bit of permission. Yeah, a bit yeah. of whatever that is. So I'd always, I'd always push for that, obviously. 
Yeah, but it is interesting. Well, you know, in an environment sort of that we've def- we've worked in recently, like you see this this thinking, like no fate, no acknowledgement of failure. I'm thinking, Chris, of a couple of sports where we've worked where there's literally no acknowledgement of it. But then encouragingly, Chris, a couple of weeks ago, we sat in a changing room of a sports team, and the head coach is telling them to fail. He wants them to go and fail. He's telling them to take risks. I want you to feel that uncertainty. I want you to thrive in it. I think you even asked a question, Chris, didn't you? How many head coaches have told you to go out and fail? Basically, you have to go into the unknown. But it's do stuff you've not done. See what goes on. Oh, there's an idea here. Don't shut it down. Just go with it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, uh, it is, it is, uh, it's, uh, it's, I think, the freedom to perform rather than the, the sort of imposed... Uh, levels that some people call discipline but are kind of inhibitive instead mm. of the discipline of being creative the discipline of accepting adapting being agile you know uh, try it change try it and you know the funny thing is people try things once and go didn't work not doing it again and actually it's like just hang on a second you know just give it that was a good idea let's look at it positively and figure out what other things went on because it might happen next time so mm. yeah I, i'm with you i'm with you mm. Like it. Conscious that we've talked a lot about errors um, or failing, uh, might might be a good time for us to answer a question in. So, can I can I set you a challenge? Uh, if I set you a challenge, you can say yes. That's the end of it. My my challenge to you is going to be a question. Can you in the next week of work or life or shopping or anything you want, um, deliberately before you go to an environment, decide that you will make someone feel better about themselves for having met you yeah i can do that i can meet somebody and make them feel better about themselves or deliberately make the choice to go into that interaction for them to leave feeling better about themselves having met me i can do that oh can we do it remotely does that count if we don't meet any real human beings yeah 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 yeah. i mean it's it's got to be a real human being but if it has to be remote but i think it's important to go um i'm going to go and do that dan it's been uh, an absolute pleasure talking to you again. I'm conscious that you've given up uh, some time on your bank holiday evening as well um, to spend with me and Ian. So thank you very much uh, for that. And I mean, if you're anything like the rest of us, you'll be battening down the hatches now. Because, mm. uh, but mate, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great talking to you. Oh no, you're absolutely welcome. Yeah, the storm is coming, and I am on a boat, so you, it is battening down the hatches for real, mate. <laughs> um, Look, I've listened to you know the first few shows so far. Really enjoy them, and uh, of course, love coming on. Uh, and I think uh, you know there's a couple of people in, in both of you that are going to do some really cool things. And the and the chat and the questioning and the thinking is really worthwhile. So I'm hoping other people get get to come in and and, and, and it works really well because it's uh, an absolute pleasure. And uh, look forward to finding out how your challenge went. Kind of your question yeah. into a challenge, but hey, sometimes it happens like that, doesn't it? Oh, I like it. A bit left field. Um, we'll definitely let you know. Um, and thank you for your kind words and for your time. Yeah, cheers, Dan, mate. Awesome. Have a good one. Appreciate it. Take yeah, care. thanks, Teddy. See you soon. Oh, that was a, uh, a fascinating conversation with Dan. I personally really enjoyed it. Um, and I, 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 I like how he brings his quite unique experience to life for a more sort of general audience like us which is which is fantastic um my top i think my sort of top thread from that is about preparing for high performance 
when we're not at our best and when we're in environments or circumstances that are not optimal you know i think we we look really hard right and it's the case when, when we've done things elsewhere in sport and in business that you try and make the environment as good as you can um but it's, it, arguably it's never good enough and come the day of the races you, you might lose control of things and, and the settings are going to change potentially for the worst um, and so being ready to be your best when the conditions are potentially at their worst i think is really important and quite maybe something that we don't always think about um, and that's all about challenge right but challenge that doesn't undermine your sense of belonging and i think that's if i was to focus on one thing coming away from that i think that's it for me so like how do you challenge how do you critique without undermining someone's sense of belonging in order to learn and get through and perform to a high standard when things are going really badly i don't know what do you think Ian? where are you at yeah i'm left for two things i think there's definitely an emerging theme in all the conversations we've had so far on the focal point around relationship with purpose and aligning you know that with your purpose with you and what you stand for that's that's something that's definitely coming through loud and clear and was quite a, a passionate angle really for dan i'm also left with the the fact that you know certain environments that we might be in and people that are listening to this might be in will be asking people to perform at a high level and be asking them to take risks and to you know to develop things but at the same time we'll have this notion of there's no room for error and i really like dan's point around you know, there's no room for error here, but error is where we understand stuff. Error is where, um, you know, our lessons are going to come from. It's the gateway to, to developing high performance. And I think there's an interesting question maybe or thought for people to take away is around their tolerance and their acceptance of error and, and what they do with that. Um, every time we're down, mate, he always throws up something new. Uh, it's always yeah. great to talk to him, even if he does sound a bit like a Dalek at times <laughs> with his wife. We'll look forward to the challenge that Dan set us um, about having a positive impact on somebody that we meet, conscious that that's probably going to be remote still until uh, things change in the UK. Um, but when we put our post out with our takeaways from the episode, um, we'll be sure to capture in there um, how that went for us, how we maybe approached it, um, yeah, and what that experience was like for us. So keep an eye on our LinkedIn a couple of days after uh, this episode comes out. And thanks again for taking the time to download and listen to The Focal Point. <laughs>